0: Hi, welcome to Aria's Office Hours. I'm certified nurse midwife Aria Pretlow, and I'm here to share evidence-based recommendations and answers to your questions about women's health. Am I due for a PAP? That's the topic of today's podcast, which is a voice recording of the newsletter that I send out on the first and third Thursdays of every month. I I receive this question frequently during clinic visits. Oftentimes, people make an appointment for a a preventive care exam, and one of the things they're unsure about is whether they're due for a PAP. They often come expecting to get a PAP, and then when we review their history, find out that they don't actually necessarily need one for one, two, or sometimes even three years. So let's talk about that what the cervical cancer screening recommendations mean for you. Those of us in our 40s or older remember a time when we got a quote unquote yearly. We didn't call it a pap or a pelvic exam. It was a yearly and we all knew what that meant, an invasive vaginal exam to screen for cervical cancer. In the bad old days, we didn't yet know that human papillomavirus, which we all just call HPV, is the most common cause of cervical cancer this information comes from the centers for disease control and prevention 2023 in my newsletter you can see all of the links for all of my references we couldn't screen for hpv and there was no vaccine to prevent it so the only method for managing perceived risk was to have some cells scraped off of your cervix and sent to the lab also known as a pap smear at the lab a pathologist looked at the sample under a microscope this is the quote-unquote smear part in order to identify abnormal changes to the cells. Thank goodness things have changed. When the medical field realized that a sexually transmitted virus is the most common cause of cancer, developed screening methods for it, and created the HPV vaccine, a vaccine against cancer, we were able to space out cervical cancer screenings while decreasing lifetime risk of cervical cancer. So what does this mean for you? Women's health clinicians use a variety of resources to assess individual risk and help people understand if they are due for cervical cancer screening. For people who have been screened regularly with normal results, this part is important, the recommendation is age-based as follows. The United States Preventive Services Task Force, which we um, use the acronym USPSTF, Their recommendation is supported by the American Society for Colposcopy and Cervical Pathology, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, to name a few. The recommendations are no screening before age 21, regardless of exposure, which is to say sexual activity. Between the ages of 21 and 29 years, The recommendation is to have a screening every three years. This screening consists of cervical cytology only. That means we're just taking cells from the cervix and looking at them for abnormal changes. We don't do HPV testing unless the person is symptomatic or the cervical cytology is abnormal, in which case, usually at the lab, it does what we call reflexes, which means the initial thing came up abnormal and so they automatically run the next thing. And in that case, it would be to identify if there is HPV in the cells and if so, is it a, what's considered a high-risk strain of HPV. Between the ages of 30 and 65 years, the recommendation is every three years if you only get cervical cytology, which is no longer the standard of practice, but I suppose your mileage may vary depending on your location. Or every five years, if you get cervical cytology with HPV testing. This is called co-testing in women's health circles. It can also be every five years if you only get the HPV test. This still requires a speculum exam and a cervical cell sample. So just to reiterate, every three years is the norm from the age of 21 to 29 years. And then assuming you switch to co-testing, so they are looking for both abnormal changes to the cervical cells as well as the presence of HPV, particularly high-risk strain, high strains, then you graduate, you could say, to every five years until the age of 65 at which point screening is no longer recommended recommended screening is no longer recommended if you've had normal results from your last 3 paps or last 2 hpv tests in the previous 10 years and if you are not at high risk for cervical cancer for example you have not had precancerous cervical cells in your lifetime Something to note is that, of course, there may be individual circumstances for which a screening schedule would still be recommended. So how do you set yourself up for a successful screening? In my experience, nobody wants to have to do a repeat speculum exam if they can avoid it. There are some things that can interfere with the cell samples, leading to an inconclusive or inaccurate result. This can necessitate another screening Nobody's favorite activity. Here are some tips for increasing the chances of your healthcare provider getting a good sample. These come from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. For two days before your screening, avoid douching. I'm going to make a note about douching. Avoid vaginal intercourse. If it can't be avoided or you forget, just let your healthcare provider know. We can make a note on the lab order, which might help the technicians in the lab interpret the sample. And the third thing to avoid is any vaginal medication, spermicidal gel or foam, basically anything that you might put inside of your vagina um, to treat any kind of condition. I would say also lube and moisturizer. Um, Uh, The CDC says that if you're on your period, the test can still be done. I believe them. However, based on my clinical experience, I advise trying to schedule around the heavy flow days if you can. This is because I have seen that many women don't want the exam when they're bleeding and or their pelvis is already irritable. And sometimes the results come back inconclusive, presumably because it's hard to get a sample if the flow is heavy. There's just so much other fluid there. If it's very light bleeding or just spotting, it's more likely to be successful than if it's a heavy flow day. So this is that that challenge of like, theoretically, it should still work. But in practice, sometimes uh, just because of the the blood and the endometrial lining, it just seems to get in the way, and then the result that we get back is that there was inadequate sample. The note about douching is this. Douching is not recommended as a component of personal hygiene, but especially avoid it before a pap. Things that don't really matter when it comes to your appointment. Pubic care. There is no need to apologize or even make any comment at all about your pubes. We see all the things. We have pubic hair ourselves that we manage in our own way, and we don't care how you handle yours. We do look for signs of infection and infestation, but I really, it doesn't matter to me if you have a full bush, if you dye it, if you shave designs into it, if you have it all waxed off, as long as your skin appears to be healthy and um, and, the, and there aren't signs of like louses. it's fine. You don't have to apologize for your pubes. Or your leg hair. There's something about getting into that exam gown and bearing your legs that makes a lot of female identified people self-conscious about their leg hair. Again, not an item of clinical interest for the healthcare provider and not something for you to put any energy into, at least not on our account. And piercings. As long as your healthcare provider can use a speculum without interference, there's no need to remove genital piercings, and unless you have a question about how one is healing or if one uh, keeps getting irritated or something like that, it's just, you know, we we see it, we will look to make sure that it looks healthy, and that's really it. Even if your results are normal, we still recommend a yearly preventive care appointment for all adults. We don't need to do a pelvic exam unless you have symptoms you want to address at this appointment you get a routine exam blood pressure assessment and blood work to screen for things like anemia high cholesterol high blood sugar low vitamin d thyroid issues etc depending on your family history personal history age and other risk factors so keep coming for a yearly but know that for low risk cervix owners it doesn't have to include a speculum every year I'm going to say it again for the people in the back. There is no need if you do not have symptoms and are not due for a PAP and consent to a PAP. Absolutely no one needs to put their hands inside your body. What if you get abnormal results? Abnormal results change the screening schedule and generally require more frequent screening until you have at least two sequential normal PAPs. The management of abnormal results follows an algorithm based on how impacted the cells are and whether or not HPV is identified. The ASCCP Management Guidelines app is a great resource for understanding next steps in response to an abnormal PAP result. I wouldn't say it's something the general public needs to have on their phone or their mobile device. It is something all clinicians who do PAPs should have. The same information can be found on the ASCCP website. And again, the ASCCP stands for the American Society for Colposcopy and Cervical Pathology. At their website, you can download the complete consensus paper, which is entitled 2019 ASCCP Risk-Based Management Consensus Guidelines for Abnormal Cervical Cancer Screening Tests and Cancer Precursors. This document offers a number of flowcharts that guide decision-making. Um, and then on my newsletter, which you can access by going to ariapretlo.substack.com, I have a poll, and the question is, did you know the cervical cancer screening recommendations before reading this newsletter? I, I would love it if you would go and answer that poll. It's a simple yes or no. And then do you have any questions you'd like me to address in an upcoming newsletter? There's a spot where you can leave a comment and I'll see what I can do. And then as always, I list my references. I have um, links in the references as well as APA 7th edition um, reference format for cervical cancer screening, frequently asked questions from ACOG, cervical cancer, what are the risks, risk factors from the CDC, Cervical Cancer, What Should I Know About Screening from the CDC, um, the 2019 ASCCP Consensus Guidelines, and Cervical Cancer Screening from the USPSTF. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's a holiday week here in, um, in the United States, and I hope that you are able to have a peaceful experience wherever you may be. Take care.